Welcome to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we are discussing episodes three and four of the story of Minglan or Zhifo Zhifo, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases said and spoken in Mandarin Chinese. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram, or else email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com if you have any questions. Now, without further ado, let's get started on the episode recap. Episode 3 is quite tragic, and therefore, we won't spend too much time on the tragedy, but instead, focus more on the culture and history that is portrayed to us in these two episodes, and also level-setting what's going on, as it can get pretty confusing. The episode begins where the last one left off, at a funeral. But whose funeral? In the last episode, we found out that the boy who played in the arrow toss or pitch pot game against our main character Minglan is actually the second son of the Marquis, and his name is Gu Tingye. The problem is that there were bandits on the boat he was on and is now believed dead. So could this be his funeral? No, it's not. In the first shot of this episode, we see a flag saying that this funeral is for a Bai family elder, not Gu Tingye. The people at this funeral are of the Bai family. There's a young man from the Bai family leading the funeral rites. For some reason, Sheng Hong, Minglan's father, is at this funeral and so is his son Chang Bai. They, along with another official, pay their respects to the deceased. As the funeral rites continue, it is interrupted by two people. First is a wet nurse, or you could call a nanny. She is Gu Tingye's nanny and very loyal to him and his mother. Her name is Chang Momo. The second person to interrupt the funeral is none other than Gu Tingye himself. Punches are exchanged, there's lots of name calling and yelling, and it all really boils down to inheritance. This is quite confusing, so let me explain. Gu Tingye's mother is from the Bai family. Her father, so Gu Tingye's maternal grandfather, is the one who died. This maternal grandfather is the eldest brother and the family head. The Bai family is also an incredibly wealthy merchant family who manages the salt business, at least this grandfather did. Now, the only remaining heir of this grandfather's line is none other than Gu Tingye. The young man who was leading the funeral rites is the son of the grandfather's brother, which makes him an uncle of Gu Tingye. That gentleman, at least, has the last name of Bai. He does not, or this Bai uncle, does not have direct ownership of any of the wealth, but he clearly wants it. The only person in his way of this money is, of course, Gu Tingye. 
We can reasonably assume that this uncle of Gu Tingye's is the one who actually sent those bandits to try to kill Gu Tingye. If you watched the last few minutes of the last episode, this uncle receives a note. I'm assuming it's to confirm that Gu Tingye is indeed dead. The only reason Gu Tingye is still alive, as he tells Chang Bai later in the episode, is because he swapped clothes with one of his servants. That is the only reason why he managed to escape. And fortunately for Gu Tingye, he also has a written will from his grandfather that he presents to all in attendance of this funeral, which is primarily the Bai family and also some other officials from Yangzhou City. I personally don't know how that letter didn't disintegrate in the water after he fell in, but I'm not going to think too hard about that. Maybe he had it hidden away somewhere else. Who knows? Of course, Gu Tingye's uncle does not want to believe that this is a real will and refuses to accept it. There is some back and forth, but ultimately Gu Tingye is able to claim his grandfather's salt business. As of now, this young man is actually quite powerful. Not only is he the son of a marquis, he is also the heir to his grandfather's salt business. So he has both power and money. I will say it is also interesting that his grandfather did not give this money to any other member of the Bai family clan. One thing that the uncle said that I thought was quite interesting was that why would the grandfather give this? Money to somebody who doesn't even have the last name of Bai. Generally, these types of items are shared down the male family line, not to the mother's family line, which is where Gu Tingye comes in. What we see in this scene is actually that the grandfather had a very tough childhood, where other members of the Bai family had ostracized him and had treated him and his mother poorly. That's why he doesn't want to give any money. To the Bai family, and instead gave it to his grandson. With that settled, let's transition back to Minglan. The latter part of this episode is nothing but tragic. The master and madam of the Sheng family are not at home. They instead left to say goodbye to some family members. Grandma Sheng is also not at home. That leaves Minglan with her very pregnant mother Wei Xiangyang and Lin Xiangyang, Mistress Lin, the concubine. Minglan and her mother now have all of the tasty food that they want, but her mother Wei Xiangyang doesn't feel like this is right. Before long, though, Minglan's mother starts going into labor. We see fully how Lin Xiangyang crafted this trap for Minglan's mother. All of the necessary materials needed for birth, and even the midwives of the household, had been called away or else manipulated into not being available. Poor Minglan and her mother are left to fend for themselves. The two young children, Minglan and her maid Xiao Tao, run out of ideas. Minglan escapes the household to search for a doctor. She's desperately trying to find someone to help. On the street, she runs into none other than Gu Tingye. Gu Tingye doesn't give another thought and helps her search for a doctor. He even rushes the doctor back to the Sheng family to tend to Minglan's mother. 
During this entire time, Lin Xiaoyang is just sitting there saying, "Oh my gosh, where is everybody? I don't know where they went," and does absolutely nothing to help. Unfortunately, the doctor arrived too late to save Minglan's mother. Lin Xiaoyang managed to prevent Wei Xiaoyang from getting any care and passed the point of saving. The unborn child is also too big and therefore drained too much energy of Wei Xiaoyang. Both Wei Xiaoyang and the unborn child die in this horrific incident. Before she passes, Wei Xiaoyang reminds Minglan to call her Xiaoyang instead of Anyang. Xiaoyang is a term for a concubine. Anyang is the term for a mother. Minglan doesn't want to, but is forced to as her mother's dying wish. This is an incredibly important line that will come back often. Minglan's mother also tells Minglan to thank Gu Tingye for everything he's done for them today, and to give him a pair of knee guards that she just embroidered. Soon after, Wei Xiangyang passes. Poor Minglan, she is overwhelmed at seeing her mother and brother die in such a tragic way, and also falls unconscious. If we have to reiterate, the worst person here has to be Lin Xiangyang. She clearly was planning this and did everything in her power to prevent Wei Xiangyang from getting care. She wanted Wei Xiangyang to die from this pregnancy. There were too many things that went wrong today, which caused this tragic incident. But it was all instigated because of Lin Xiangyang. This is certainly a devastating turn of events. But what happens in the wake of this tragedy is more interesting. For Lin Xiangyang, the threat of Wei Xiangyang birthing a son was enough for her to、uh, want to kill Wei Xiangyang. When the master and madam return, the pair is nothing but furious. Sheng Hong, Master Sheng, beats the servants for not handling the events. Wang Danyangzi is also screaming at her maids. Of course, Lin Xiangyang also cries and garners pity for being inexperienced, even though we know that she was the one to cause this all to happen. She isn't actually punished for what she's done. On the other hand, we see Wang Danyangzi and her godson of a daughter Hua Lan behave. Hua Lan again is the eldest daughter of the Sheng family. She actually cares about Minglan and her deceased mother. But more so, cares about being a tactician for her mother. She reminds her mother that as the wife of the family, she must prepare a generous funeral procession for Wei Xiangyang. That is how she must act as the proper wife of the household. Hua Lan also warns her mother that she must not bring up to her husband getting the keys to run the family back. They are currently with Lin Xiangyang. Which means she has been the one managing the household lately. Wang Danyangzi doesn't fully understand why, but agrees with her daughter and does as she is told. The thing is, Wang Danyangzi doesn't really care that Wei Xiangyang died. When Hua Lan shows up, she was mad, yes, but Wang Danyangzi also just wanted to show her daughter pearls she received from her brother. She doesn't care that this concubine died. That is not how to act when someone dies. Regardless, in this instance, we see that Hua Lan has more empathy and compassion than Wang Danyangzi, but at the same time, as we said, more tact. How will Wang Danyangzi regain favor with her husband? 
Well, by listening to Hualan here. And as Kathy mentioned, Sheng Hong, the master of the Sheng family, was beating servants, but didn't really care that much about the death of Wei Xiaoyang. Episode four starts with poor Minglan in bed. Her aunt, or her deceased mother's sister, has also come to tend to her and settle Mistress Wei's affairs. We'll call her Aunt Wei. Aunt Wei is deeply saddened by the turn of events and requests a meeting with Madame Wang, or Wang Danyangzi. Aunt Wei first thanks Madame Wang for the respectful funeral for her sister and makes a request. She wants to bring Minglan back with her to the country to tend to her illness. Wang Danyangzi, of course, doesn't care. Minglan's not her daughter, so why would she mind? But before Madame Wang can say anything, her maid, Mrs. Liu or Liu Mama, immediately chimes in. Instead of bringing Minglan to the countryside, why don't you, Aunt Wei, stay a little bit longer? He comes in shortly after, but not before Aunt Wei gets angry at Liu Mama for believing that she's making this request to take Minglan home to get more money. Master Sheng has to placate Aunt Wei, and he is surprisingly adamant that Minglan will stay in the Sheng household. Aunt Wei continues to make a fuss about Minglan's living situation until finally Wang Danyangzi promises that she will personally care for the child and make sure that Minglan recovers. This right here is actually what Aunt Wei came for. She doesn't actually want to bring Minglan back to the countryside. Not that she doesn't love Minglan, but Aunt Wei already knew that Sheng Hong or Master Sheng wouldn't agree to this. However, Aunt Wei needed to protect Minglan, and the only way to ensure Minglan's safety and her health is if Wang Danyangzi and Master Sheng believe that she will make a big deal out of Minglan's health and the death of her sister. This again is just a threat to the Sheng family's reputation, which, as we've seen already, is a big no-no. Anything that threatens the reputation of the Sheng family is not something that can be done. Wang Danyangzi probably could not care less about Minglan, but for the family reputation, she will begrudgingly take care of Minglan. Grandma Sheng, who was also away, finally returns to Sheng Manor. Her son, Master Sheng, Sheng Hong, visits her, and he behaves like a guilty child. She doesn't immediately scold him, but reminds him of how her son died, at the hands of some lowly mistress. His son just died in the same way. She now gets all riled up. Master Sheng immediately kneels and begs for forgiveness, but Grandma Sheng scolds him for not adhering to traditions. He so pampers his mistress, Lin Xiaoyang, that his wife's station and status in the household is threatened. And look at the mess this mistress caused. Master Sheng's own son died. Let's dissect this a little bit because it is very revealing of how the family dynamics work here. Grandma Sheng had a son who was killed by a concubine of the family. Sheng Hong, this man or the current master of this household is not actually her son by birth, but another concubine's son. That is often a point of contention in the family because 
He does not fully listen to her since they're not real mother and son. Secondly, the reason why he is so caring of his mistress or of Lin Xiaoniang is because he was separated from his own Xiaoniang or mother when he was young and experienced hardships because of that. He doesn't want Lin Xiaoniang to experience the same difficulties he did. This gives us a better picture of how and why he behaves the way he did, or why he favors Lin Xiaoniang so much. Lin Xiaoniang, of course, has several tricks up her sleeve, but this gives some idea as to why Sheng Hong behaves the way he does. However, this does not condone the fact that a mistress has as much power as Lin Xiaoniang does in the Sheng household enough to rival the madam of the house. We can place the fault and blame squarely on Sheng Hong for this. Clearly, no one in the family, not Wang Danyangzi, nor Lin Xiaoniang, nor Sheng Hong, really care that Wei Xiaoniang died. If you paid attention, Wei Xiaoniang was a concubine that Wang Danyangzi bought for Sheng Hong in order to uh, be a spy for her and be annoying to Lin Xiaoniang. That is ultimately why Lin Xiaoniang needed to get rid of Wei Xiaoniang. She, Wei Xiaoniang, was nothing more than just a chess piece. They don't care that her unborn child died as well. If there's anything that can be said about this time period is that it reflects to us, viewers, how little human lives were valued. Grandma Sheng also then makes an announcement to Sheng Hong that she will raise Minglan. He's shocked and immediately tries to offer Molan instead. He clearly favors Molan as a daughter. Grandma Sheng immediately retorts, I leave a motherless child alone and instead raise Mistress Lin's daughter? What world is this? She also explains to Sheng Hong, who clearly didn't get it, that Aunt Wei didn't really want to bring Minglan back to the countryside. She needed to make sure her niece is well taken care of. Grandma Sheng raising Minglan is the best solution. She also makes very clear to her son that this whole fiasco was poorly handled. Mistress Wei died and there was a funeral. There's nothing wrong with that. But immediately, these servants were beaten and sold from the Sheng Manor. Anyone could have guessed that something happened to Mistress Wei due to these servants. If a political enemy decided to tattle to Sheng Hong's superiors and bring these people as potential uh, witnesses, what will Sheng Hong say? That he left his mistress in charge and caused two deaths? That will be a stain on his reputation and jeopardize any prospects for promotion. This immediately shuts Sheng Hong up because the only thing that he cares about is his reputation. Grandma Sheng also shows us here that she's the only one in the family who has clearly thought this through. No one else thought about the potential political ramifications nor the potential stains to the Sheng family if they did not treat Mistress Wei well. Yes, beforehand, Master Sheng and Madame Wang thought a little bit about their reputation, but what Grandma Sheng just stated puts everything in a whole new perspective. 
That is why Grandma Sheng is MVP and also holds so much sway in the family. Grandma Sheng then gifts Sheng Hong a phrase. Yi ru ai zi zhi xin, ji ren ai zi zhi xin. It doesn't come from a classic, but the meaning is this. How thou loves your children should be honored as how others love their children. Grandma Sheng then gives Master Sheng a copy of Mengzi or Mengxis as to how to behave in the future. Uh, which he also just totally scoffs and ignores as soon as he walks out. So why does everyone want to have Grandma Sheng raise one of their daughters? First and foremost, Grandma Sheng was the sole daughter of a marquis. Her family ties, titles, and status still holds clout in the empire. She will look after the prospects of whichever granddaughter she raises and find a good match for marriage, much better than whoever Master Sheng can find. Master Sheng at this point is a lowly magistrate. Families won't want to have their sons marry his daughter, but they will want their sons to marry the granddaughter of a marquis's daughter. Even if Mulan or Minglan are daughters of mistresses or concubines, their marriage prospects will increase significantly. Second, Grandma Sheng was raised in the capital and a frequent guest in the palace during her youth. She understands proper etiquette, is well-educated, and wise in household affairs. Any granddaughter raised by her will do well in their future husband's households. Hua Lan is an excellent example. Grandma Sheng raised Hua Lan, and look at how she's able to persuade her mother, Madame Wang, against the wiles of Mistress Lin. All of the adults want one of the three remaining daughters to be raised by Grandma Sheng, and Minglan was chosen. Going back to Hua Lan, Hua Lan right now is going to marry the son of an earl. That is considered marrying up for this family. And the book sort of mentions it, but a lot of it has to do to the fact that Hualan was raised by Grandma Sheng. Master Sheng is in Madame Wang's rooms discussing the burial for Wei Xiaoyang the following day. Wei Danyangzi listened to her daughter and has spent a good amount of money on a proper burial. <laughs> she's doing a hilarious job trying to act all sad. Notice how she's not even shedding actual tears. She's just kind of like sniveling. Sheng Hong or Master Sheng doesn't notice this and continues on. He is very pleased with her actions and actually compliments Wang Danyangzi. He agrees to have her manage the household again. Wang Danyangzi is shocked and can barely hide her glee. See, listen to your daughter, Wang Danyangzi. Be that composed and proper wife. Stop yelling at people as it helps no one. By doing the right thing and without outright asking to manage the household, Madame Wong impressed her husband into giving it to her. This is why Grandma Sheng says even though Wang Danyangzi has a huge temper, she is good, whereas Mistress Lin or Lin Xiaoyang is not good. Grandma Sheng knows and sees all. The next day, Wei Xiaoyang's funeral procession is led by her sister, Aunt Wei. 
Antwe carries a red banner, which we will talk about. However, as Wei Xiangyang is just a mistress, her funeral procession is, of course, pretty stark compared to the one we saw in episode 3 for Gu Tingye's grandfather. Over the next several days, Mistress Lin becomes sidelined due to her role in Wei Xiangyang's death. Everyone, including Sheng Hong, gives Mistress Lin the cold shoulder. Seeing that bribery doesn't work, Lin Xiangyang returns to her quarters and begins smashing things, scaring her daughter Molan. For once, Lin Xiangyang is worried about her future prospects within the Sheng household. Without favor from the master, her and her children's lives will be pretty difficult. After the funeral, the entire Sheng family as well as Gu Tingye head off to the capital city of Bianjing, also known as Kaifeng. The Sheng family head to the capital city because Sheng Hong has been promoted to a post there. Gu Tingye leaves for Kaifeng to return to his family. Before they depart, Yang Minglan gifts the knee guards that her mother embroidered to Gu Tingye. Notice that she paid him very formal respects in the way she curtsies to him. With that, they head off on boats to the capital. Of course, Lin Xiangyang will not allow herself to be given the cold shoulder for too long. On the boat, she is playing her gu qin, trying to get Master Sheng's attention. In the end, after pleading, making a scene, and finally passing out due to crying from uh, trying to beg for forgiveness, Lin Xiangyang successfully regains Master Sheng's affections and uh, successfully gets him back to her bed. Wang Danyangzi is left fuming because she can see through this act, but does not have the skill to uncover Lin Xiangyang's mask in front of her husband. Lin Xiangyang has some really good acting abilities. At the end of episode 4, we see the crew and family arriving in Bianjing. What I find incredibly interesting here is how Gu Tingye's mother or stepmother and his younger brother is here to see him. It looks like his younger brother is actually quite fond of Gu Tingye, and it shows that uh, they have a loving relationship. This is an important scene and will be a reoccurring theme throughout the show. Additionally, this is the first time we see the Song Dynasty court. Sheng Hong, after arriving at the capital city, attends court and meets the emperor. The court scene is very different than what we've come to expect during the Ming and Qing dynasties. We'll explain some of the distinguishing characteristics in this episode and expand in future episodes. I personally found this scene hilarious because the emperor calls Sheng Hong to speak and you can tell that Sheng Hong is scared out of his mind. He kind of gets sidelined by more powerful officials hoping to speak on a more personal topic, and Sheng Hong is kind of just like shuffling out of the way. I personally died laughing at this. And that is that for the episode 3 and 4 recap. We've set the stage for how the Sheng family establishes themselves in the capital. Minglan has lost her mother and she is now to be raised by her grandmother. Now let's turn to a discussion on the cultural and historical aspects of this show.
first, let's talk about the funeral, as there are several traditions mentioned here. There are several funerals in the drama, so we'll discuss each in turn, but there were two displayed in these two episodes. First is the red banner. In Chinese, it's called Mingjing. This red banner has the name, rank, and position of the deceased. And in the drama, they placed it on the west side of the coffin during the funeral and funeral procession. The banner's purpose is to lead the deceased soul to its final resting place. Next is the huenbo or soul silk as the literal translation. This is what is actually placed on a chair before the coffin in episode three. So take a look back into it. It's kind of like a pretty, prettily tied knot there. And this also here serves as a guide for the deceased soul. Next, then we have da zhao hun fan. So when the elders say da fan or raise the funeral banner, the eldest male of the main wife in the family will carry the banner and lead the procession. This again is to lead the soul to its final resting place. Next we have sui wa, or shatter the crockery. And during a, uh, the funeral rites, the bowl is usually a ceramic or clay bowl or pot that is shattered as shown in the drama. It represents food for the dead. Once the bowl is shattered, the deceased will be able to use the bowl in the afterlife and not worry about hunger. There's also an idiom in Chinese or Mandarin called sui sui ping an, or may you have peace year after year. Sui means year, which sounds exactly like sui or shatter. By shattering the bowl, the living also wish the dead peace in the afterlife. And next we have tingling. Tingling means to keep the coffin somewhere before burial. The phrase was actually first mentioned in Holomong or Dreams in the Red Mansion. And that novel was written during the Qing Dynasty in the late 18th century, some 700 years before the events of this drama. So I'm not sure if that is a bug or just, I guess, something that the, the filmmakers said to use. Okay, enough about funeral processions and funeral traditions. It's definitely quite complicated and not a pleasant topic. So let's move on to something a little bit more interesting or not interesting, but uh, more famous. The topic at hand is Feng Qiu Huang. This is the song that Lin Xiaoyang plays on her Chinese Gu Qin on the boat when she's trying to get back in favor with Sheng Hong. Feng Qiu Huang is an extremely famous ballad written by the poet Sima Xiangru when he was trying to woo the beautiful widow Zhuo Wenjun. This was written during the Han Dynasty over 2,000 years ago. The literal translation is Phoenix chasing the phoenix. In Chinese, though, Feng historically meant the male phoenix and Huang meant the female phoenix. In this story, Sima Xiangru is the Feng and Zhuo Wenjun is the Huang. So who was this beautiful woman and why did Sima Xiangru want to write such a beautiful piece for her? Zhuo Wenjun was a beautiful and intelligent woman who was unfortunately widowed at the young age of 17. She came from a wealthy family. 
The wandering poet Sima Xiangru fell instantly in love with her when he was a guest at her house. He performed the piece Feng Qiu Huang in front of an audience to profess his love. Moved by his sincerity, Zhuo Wenjun also professed her love for him. Unfortunately, this union was not approved by her father, so this couple eloped during the night. They lived for a time in happy bliss, making and selling wine to get by. But the story does not end happily for Zhuo Wenjun because, well, Sima Xiangru betrays her. We'll just leave the story there. Feng Qiu Huang is a ballad accompanied by music and is part of the classical Chinese repertoire. In this drama, like we said, Lin Xiangyang plays a bit of the music on the Gu Qin. Lastly, let's mention a bit about the attire of the court officials as Sheng Hong goes to meet the emperor for court. This is quite different from what we've seen in Empresses in the Palace and other dramas. First and foremost is that we are in a different dynasty with Han people rather than a Manchu ruling family. A unique feature in the Song dynasty is that the clothing is rather simple. There are no real intricate and elaborate designs embroidered on the clothes as is custom in many other dynasties. Instead, it's much plainer. The colors of the court officials reflect each individual's rank and position at court. At court, we see three colors. Purple are for those ranked tier three and above or sempian and above. Red for tier five and above. Green for tier seven and above. And those below tier seven wear blue. We don't really see anyone wearing blue here because I'm assuming that their rank is too low to be at the court of the emperor. Those ranked tier three or above are also required to wear something called a yu dai. This is where we need some actual scholars to tell us how this should be translated. The direct translation of this yu dai is a fish bag. But essentially, it's kind of like a pendant you tie to your belt. And it contains an identifier of your person and status. The fish bag or pendant was first established during the Tang Dynasty and continued through the Song Dynasty as an important identifier. It was almost like your ID card. There's a lot more to discuss about Song uh, Dynasty court, especially around this emperor, which we will get into in the next episode. And finally, let's talk about some book differences uh, in these two episodes. In the book, a lot of the events revolving around Gu Tingye are merely mentioned and not shown or recounted later in the book. Everything from the funeral of his maternal grandfather to helping Minglan find a doctor does not occur in the book. In the book, the story basically starts in episode 4 when Minglan is sick after the death of her mother. And the events of how her mother died, though, are pretty faithful to the book. Minglan wakes up to find herself in this world alone and helpless. And also in the book, she's only around five or six and not eight, as mentioned by Aunt Wei. Because the setting of the story is now in the Song Dynasty, the family makes only one move from Yangzhou to the capital. In the book, there's another move before the family finally uh, arrives in the capital, but I think it makes sense that we have just two main settings for the story here. 
And that is it for our discussion of episode three and four of the story of Minglan or Zhifo. Zhifo, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. Once again, if you have any comments or questions, please reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, or by email. The music you heard today is by sheet music from Yu Mian Xiao Yan Ran and played by yours truly. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we will catch you in the next one.